Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. In the month of April, we took a break, looked at the all the ramifications about Easter, that it this changes everything. Today, we're getting back to 2 Timothy that we've been walking through verse by verse. And I want to remind you that Paul, this is his last letter. He's, in, he's on death row. He's in Roman prison on death row, and he knows he doesn't have long. And he's writing this letter to young Timothy, to remind him of what to expect and to encourage him to keep on keeping on and serving the Lord. I want to begin reading in verse 1, chapter 3. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was. We are seeing signs, what we call signs of the times, to think about the return of Jesus. Now, folks, if you just pay attention when you're going through life, you're going to see some funny signs. People sometimes put up something, and they don't really stop and think about all that it means. They've got something in their mind, but when they put it up there, it could mean something else. For example, in a laundromat, the sign said, automatic washing machines, please remove all your clothes when the light goes out. (laughs) Or in a London department store, bargain basement upstairs. In an office, after the tea break, staff should empty the teapot and stand upside down on the draining board. (laughs) Outside a secondhand shop, we exchange anything, bicycles, washing machines. Why not bring your wife along and get a wonderful bargain? (laughs) In a health food shop window, closed due to illness, Spotted in a safari park. Elephants, please stay in your car. (laughs) Notice in a field, the farmer allows walkers to cross the field for free, but the bull charges. (laughs) 
two more. On a repair shop, a repair shop door, we can repair anything in parentheses. Please knock hard on the door. The bell doesn't work. <laughs> Here's my favorite. On a plumber's truck, both sides, one side, a straight flush beats a full house. <laughs> Some of y'all will get that about an hour from now. On the other side, it says, if it wasn't for your plumber, you'd have no place to go. Funny signs. There's, I got a lot of them, but I'll quit there. The, it's, it's interesting, but you know, there are signs of the second coming of Jesus. A lot of prophecies being fulfilled, have been fulfilled. We're waiting on what I think is going to be the rapture of the church, where the church will be taken out. And, and Paul, Paul is telling Timothy, there's going to be seasons in this time when it's going to be difficult. In fact, he begins this passage by talking about the certainty and the climate of the last days. Now, I want to remind you, you're going to need to write quickly today because I got a lot to cover and I'm just going to keep on going. So you just keep writing. But Paul begins by saying, know this, Timothy. It's emphatic. In fact, another way to translate it is to understand this, pay attention to this, mark this down. It's emphasizing the fact that opposition to the truth of God is not a passing storm. It's not something that's going to happen for a little while and then go away. It's going to be here. And he goes on to talk about the last days, that in the last days, perilous times will come. There's two words for time in the New Testament. One is chronos. You know what that means, your chronograph, your watch. It's a, it's a period of time, measured time. Kairos is the other word, which means seasons. There's going to be seasons described here, and as the times get closer to the Lord's return, it's going to get worse. Think of it as you ladies that have given birth. Now, when you were first pregnant, you've, you found out pretty quick from some various signs, and you carried that child for nine months, but the closer it got to time to give birth, you know, the, you know the, it got worse, didn't it? It got more uncomfortable. You felt the pains, the labor pains became more frequent. That's what Paul is saying here. Timothy, times are going to be perilous. They're going to be difficult, but they're going to get worse the closer it gets in the last days. And if you think about when he, he said, what will these last days be like? He said, perilous. Now, it may be translated in your scripture, difficult, or perilous, or terrible. It's interesting that this word only appears here and in Matthew 8, 28, where it describes the, the actually Matthew says there were two men that were, had de demons and they were uncontrollable. They, they lived among the tombs and they, uh, when Jesus cast the demons out, they went into the swine and, and the swine went off into the Sea of Galilee and but, but that other word, uncontrollable, difficult, savage times will come. That's what he's saying. These characteristics have marked time all through mankind's uh, tenure here on earth, but, the, but it's getting worse. And, and the word also means troublesome, trying, uneasy, hard, violent, threatening, dangerous. He's saying, Timothy, you need to understand that as you live for God, it's going to get harder. 
Now, you and I have been saved through Jesus Christ and by God's grace, and we have hope and assurance, but you and I need to understand that in the world that we live in, it's going to get worse. In fact, Paul then gives what I call the characteristics of the last days. It's sort of a sobering catalog of corruption. It's really a small list or shorter version of Romans 1, 18 to 32 that talks about the depravity of man, but we see some characteristics here. And I, I've kind of put them in four categories just to make it a little easier to grasp. So it's going to be a little bit out of order in the list here, but let's look at the different categories. The first one I call distorted devotion. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and body. To love the Lord your God. And yet Paul begins right here by showing some love that's in the wrong places. Looking for love in all the wrong places. He said, first of all, lovers of self. Philautos, not agapao or agape. It means to be fond of yourself. Self-love. The love for God is lowered. Self-love is the modern sense can be traced in humanism. When you rule out God, man is what's left, and he's here by chance. And we live in the age of me-ism, don't we? If there was ever a time when people love themselves, it's today. It's all about me and mine and what's best for me. Don't offend me. Don't do anything that will hinder me. Don't stop me from doing... We live in this age. Have you ever seen so much selfishness in all your life? Entitlement and selfishness. Lovers of self. He said, also lovers of money. Money's not the problem. It's the love of money's the problem. You have to have money to live, trying to make a living. There's nothing wrong with that. But the fact people become obsessed with it, and you may not have it, but you want it so badly that you're a lover of money. It's not the fact that you have to have a lot of money to love it. The fact that that's all you think about. Lovers of money and greed. And then down in verse 4, he said, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. The word pleasure Philodonos, we get our word hedonism or hedonist. A hedonist is somebody just wants anything that's pleasurable, whether it's comfort or fine food or sexual satisfaction or other indulgences. We have become a nation that just is obsessed with playing all the time. Pleasure. Even people today say, well, you know, I started this job, but it just wasn't fun anymore. I don't find any pleasure in it. And notice he says, lovers of pleasure, not more than God, but rather than God. They leave God out of the picture. Love has gone astray. So this love is distorted, loving myself, loving money, loving pleasure, instead of loving God. The other next category is what I call collapsing character. Because anytime you leave God out of a person's life, you're going to see these qualities. Now, what's interesting is that sometimes religious people have these qualities. I didn't say saved. 
Obviously, some of this would crop up from time to time in our own life, but our life, those of us who've given our life to Christ, they're not going to be characterized. But the society that we live in, see if this doesn't sound like the news. Isn't it interesting? They come on the news and they say, good morning or good evening, and then everything else they tell us isn't good. (laughs) We see boasters. And the word literally means empty pretender. It's a person who tries to deceive people by making them think they know it all when, in fact, they really don't know what they're talking about. They're always the heroes of their own stories. You know any boasters in your life? You know any, you work with any of them? You live close to them? Right akin to that is the word proud, And it means overbearing. They are arrogant. They look down on other people. There's a lack of humility. I'm so much better than you attitude. I read an interesting statement even this morning that said, the higher we soar, the smaller we appear to those who cannot fly. Now think about that. The more you elevate yourself, the more people think you're smaller. Next is revilers or blasphemers. Depending on your translation of Scripture, it means slanderous and abusive, reproachful, railing against people. Abusive. The word has to do with speaking lightly and profanely about sacred things, making fun of God. All the religious people, the one who speaks irreverently or slanders God. And as we near the end time, people are going to become more and more verbally abusive about the things of God. They're going to make fun of Christians. They'll speak out against sacred things such as the sanctity of life or the sanctity of marriage or even the exposition of Scripture, the truth of God's Word, so to speak, in a way to injure God and man. That's what revilers do. And you see a lot of antagonism and hatred toward Christianity today. Paul then mentions unthankful. No gratitude to parents or friends or God. Because you know what? If you love yourself and you elevate yourself, then you have no reason to be grateful because you got it all on your own. You deserved it. You were entitled to it. There's no reason to be grateful. And yet the Lord tells us to have grateful hearts, doesn't he? To be thankful. Sometimes even in church, people are ungrateful and unthankful. Then comes the word unholy or gross indecency is literally how it translates. The word means an unwillingness to observe even the basic decencies of life. It's flaunting ungodly actions. It's a kind of shamelessness that takes pleasure in shocking people to provoke some kind of reaction from them without reverence or respect toward holy things. It's ignorance of God's requirements of a pure heart. It was used of a person who refused to bury the dead. Sometimes it was used of a person that committed incest. A lack of decency. The unholy person is, is in this word is driven by a self-love to gratify, to gratify his lusts and passions with no thought of decency. 
interesting book that was written by Stephen Keeler called Prisoners of Hope. And in it, he asked the question, now stay with me, I'm going to say this real slow because it's, it's good, but it's deep, okay? He said, first of all, how do we create symbolic holiness or virtue? Not the real thing. How do we create what man thinks is symbolic virtue? He said, first of all, we take the standards of morality that we inherited from the generations before us. Then he said, we drain away the idea of a holy God and a just God that was associated with that morality. We take God out of the picture. And then we siphon off any notion of punishment for failing to keep God's standard. God's not really going to punish you. You're going to get by with it. And then we focus on, the, on a positive action that people can do toward other people so that we're the ones doing the work. And then we change the name from morality to ethics. Look around us. People today have taken the things of God and they've taken God out of the picture. And then they've said, you know what? There's really no punishment. That's an archaic thought. And now we just need to do good to one another. That's the society we live in. Not, not you, not you and me. We know better. We know what God's standards are. We know what God wants us to do. And the reason is we have the Holy Spirit in us. Holy Spirit has changed our life, changed our character, changed our thinking. But the society, you wonder why in the, how in the world do people come up with all this stuff? But even among religious groups, it's more about social ministries now that it is salvation through Jesus Christ, which will result in helping people. But instead, they take the gospel out and say, let's just help one another. Does that make sense to you? Paul said, in the last days, people will be unforgiving, unreasonable. They won't even make a truce. They won't even come to the conference table. They'll hold grudges. There will be nothing that can be done that will appease or pacify the situation in their life. Their feud never ends. I pray that you're not one of those people. I'm going to tell you something. If you're living in bitterness, you're not hurting anyone but yourself, and you're miserable. All of us have had a case of bitterness at one time in our life, and you've got to learn how to forgive. There will be an increase in malicious gossip, slanderers, verse 3. The word is diabolos, diabolical. It's a word used for Satan sometimes in the New Testament. You're going to become a slanderer like Satan. People will not control their tongues. They will shoot off their mouths, slander people, talk about others even when it's not true. If Paul were writing this letter today, I believe he put right there social media. 
People will say anything on social media. They're not afraid. There's no accountability. No face-to-face contact. And surely you've not had anything said about you that wasn't true. Right? He said people will be without self-control. They won't be able to restrain themselves. They'll be powerless to control their own appetites, to say no to their own emotional impulses. Without self-control means that anything goes. There's no rules, no moral absolutes, no restraints of any kind. Every person will do right that is in their own eyes. They come up with their own truth. We're surrounded by it. People will be brutal. The word literally means untamed. Ravenous wolf. You know, it's always amazing to me, and I, it's not, the word's not amazing, appalling to me at the brutality that man can be, how brutal he can be. If, you think, how in the world can people be that way? Well, it's hard for you and I to understand because the Holy Spirit's in us. God's Spirit lives in us. We don't think that way anymore. When people do such brutal things, about the time you think, how can I, how can we hear anything any worse? We hear it's worse, don't we? It's hard for us to fathom. But people without God in their lives are brutal, can be brutal. It says they will be despisers of good. They hate everything that's truthful. They hate the good. They want to push against all of that. Paul said they'll be traitors. Word treacherous. It's actually the word treacherous. Same word used for Judas who betrayed Jesus in Luke chapter 6, verse 16. People will claim they are right with God, or, but they won't be loyal. People may say, well, I'll commit to this, but they won't stay with it. They will become disloyal. He said, people will increasingly become reckless or headstrong, self-willed. They will know it all. They'll do whatever they want. Don't, don't give me your rules All that matters is I express myself, that I'm true to myself. Because they come reckless. You can't tell them anything. People will be conceited or haughty, high-minded, puffed up. So you see, when you get love in the wrong place, your character begins to collapse. When people stop loving God... This is the society that we're living in. When you take God out of everything, this is the society that we're living in. But there's still another category, failing families. <laughs> we're seeing the breakdown of the family. We've been seeing it a long time. Now we're reaping the results of the breakdown of the family that started 50, 60 years ago. We're seeing the redefinition of families, redefining of what a family is. 
Paul mentions being disobedient to parents. You think, well, wait a minute. This is such a heavy list. Why would you put disobeying your parents, which is no big deal, in such a heavy list? But folks, it is a big deal. Because if your children don't learn authority at home and they rebel against their parents, they're going to have no qualms about rebelling against everything else of God and of society. They'll have no respect for authority. And those of you who have to deal with children and teaching in schools and and other places, you're seeing no respect for authority. But then there's the word unloving. And I want to spend just a second here because this particular word sometimes is translated without natural affection. It means that there's a a natural affection in a family that ought to be there. Husbands should love their wives. What a novel idea. And, And wives should love their husbands. And parents should love their children. But now, more and more people walking away from their families And more and more child abuse. Sometimes I hear about things that have happened and I just cry. You know, (laughs) I thought my dad and mom abused me when they gave me a spanking every now and then. But it wasn't abuse. It was the Board of Education. (laughs) they never abused me but it's incredible to me how an adult can harm a child that's what this word means without natural affection and we're seeing more and more of it aren't we and and lack of commitment. I read an interesting article this week about the research they've done on couples that cohabitate before they're married and, and how much that's failing. It's incredible. Up to almost 40% failure. Thinking, you know, we, we've got we to make sure we're compatible. But those who hold themselves till they're married and commit themselves when they're married... Real small percentage of failure. But unloving means that the natural affection that we have for families. In fact, back in 1947, that was a little bit before my time, not much. There was a sociologist and historian by the name of Carl Zimmerman. And he wrote a book, Family and Civilization. And he recorded his keen observations as he compared the disintegration of various cultures with the parallel decline of the family. He came up with eight specific patterns of domestic behavior typified that typified the downward spiral of each culture as it showed up in the family. Here are the eight, eight observations. 
patterns. Marriage loses its sacredness, is frequently broken by divorce. Traditional meaning of the marriage ceremony is lost. Traditional meaning of the marriage ceremony. You know, it used to be a it used to be a time when people would commit themselves under God. It was a covenant with God, but now it's just a big party. Feminist movements abound. Increased public disrespect for parents and authority in general. Acceleration of juvenile delinquency, promiscuity, and rebellion. Refusal of people with traditional marriages to accept family responsibilities. Growing desire for and acceptance of adultery. And number eight, increasing interest in and spread of sexual perversions and sex-related crimes. Folks, our culture's disintegrating because of failing families. Paul said there's a distorted love. You take the love off of God. There's a character begins to clap. Families fail. There's a fourth category. Counterfeit churches. You might be surprised to discover that a lot of these people can be religious. They have a form of religion. The word form is the word morphous relating to an outward shape, appearance such as a, a silhouette. In the last days, men will turn from God, but they're going to become more religious. They're going to ask the right questions. They're just going to look in the wrong places because they're going to look for a religion that will fit their lifestyle. They will give and go through the motions. Their heart won't be in it. They may, they may even look great. They may even do all of the choreography, but they don't know the Lord. It says that they have a form of religion, but no power. They are learning the truth, but no, they come, don't come to a knowledge of the truth. They have some head knowledge, but they don't ever commit their life to Christ. And you and I both know that church people can be some of the meanest people on earth. Not Christians. Church people. Trust me, I've, I've met both and I know the difference. And verse 6 through 9 describes the false teachers that these people are drawn to. He said, Paul said, first of all, they prey on weak people. Weak in the sense that they don't know what the Scripture says. They don't understand what God's Word says. They, they prey on weak people. Now, if you get offended, ladies, he's not saying all women are gullible or all women are silly or unstable is the Word. He's just saying that there are some who are easy targets. Not all. There are some men who are easy targets. And that's why so many people are drawn to these people on television that say, if you just follow me and give me a little money, you're going to be wealthy. The only person that's getting wealthy is that person on television. Come on. Come on. But people are gullible. I want to believe that. I want to believe if I sow this seed, you're going to give it back to me a hundredfold. It's just not consistent with Scripture. I believe God blesses, and I believe those of you who honor the Lord, that God blesses you in many ways. He makes your washing machine keep going, and your refrigerator keep going, and your car keep going. I don't know how he does it, but he's not going to send a check in the mail most of the time. 
Every now and then that happens. Second, these teachers are nothing new. It's interesting. He calls the name Janice, J-A-N-N-E-S, not the lady's name Janice. Okay, that's not who we're talking about. And that word, that name means he who seduces. And Jambres means he who makes rebellion. And Paul uses those two names. It was a Jewish tradition that that was two of the names of the magicians that opposed Moses when Moses came into Pharaoh's a place and, and started saying, let my people go. Moses threw down his rod and it became a snake. Well, these magicians did the same thing. And then Moses' rod ate those snakes, by the way. And then Moses turned the water into blood and the magicians did the same thing. And then the frogs came out and the magicians did the same thing. And then the magicians were out of tricks. They couldn't do the rest of it. Well, Paul uses that to say, they've been around a long time. And I'm telling you, there are just as many false teachers today as there were back in Paul's day. They've just got more toys to work with. And they've got more ways to deceive people. And then Paul also says that their success is going to be limited and temporary. They're not going to last, verse 9. But there are a lot of counterfeit churches. And I want to tell you, if you're part of a church that does not teach Jesus is the only way to be saved, by faith, through God's grace, and doesn't teach you that the Holy Spirit indwells you and, and helps you become what the Lord wants you to be, then you need to find another place to go. And I'm not saying you got to come here, but you need to find where the Holy Spirit wants you to go. But don't keep, in fact, let me go on. Paul makes it clear that he gives the counsel for the last days in verse five. From such people, turn away. And the word avoid or turn away is a singular middle voice imperative verb. It says, Timothy, Paul says, Timothy, you've got to decide. You're going to follow the truth or not. Because if you follow the truth, it's going to get hard through all, of these dec- through all of these characteristics that I just shared with you. Now, next Sunday, part two of this <laughs> is a little more positive about what we should do and how we should live. But, but the fact is, you don't just not do these things, but you don't follow the people who advocate this stuff. In fact, Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, if any man obeys not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him. 2 Thessalonians 3.14. Romans 16.17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. John, in 2 John verse 10, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. It doesn't mean that you can't speak to them. Just don't hang out with them. Don't keep reading their books. Don't keep watching them. Don't keep putting yourself, exposing yourself to their teaching. I'm amazed. People come up to me and say, well, you know, I was watching so-and-so, and and he said this. And and the first thing I want to say, or I do say, I said, well, you know, that's not really accurate. Now, trust me, I don't know everything. I know that. You don't have to remind me. I know that. 
But I do know that if you come to me and you give me something that I think is contrary to the Word of God, you need to be able to prove it. Show me in the Scripture accurately. Because I'm one of those Bereans. I'm not going to believe it until God's Word verifies it with me. Avoid them. Don't subject yourself to their teaching. Now, the good news is you and I are living in a society. Sure looks like the Lord's coming soon, doesn't it? I don't know when he's coming, but I do know. I've read the end, and the world's not going to get better and better and better. So here's the thing. If the Lord's going to come soon, are you ready? You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. If you have asked God to forgive you of your sin and you've committed your life to Christ because of what he did on the cross, he paid for your sin, he rose again, he ascended to heaven, he lives in us, the Holy, his spirit lives in us. Amen. You've been forgiven of your sin. You don't have to dread the return of Jesus. But if you don't know Jesus... Be afraid, very afraid, because you're not ready. I'm not trying to scare you, just telling you the truth that you don't have to be afraid. And you can leave today with peace in your heart knowing, you know what? If Jesus comes back, now he may come back in the third service when Gerald sings that song again. <laughs> He's got one more chance this morning to come. Who knows when he's going to come? Who knows when he's going to say, come up here, just waiting for the call. You can be ready, and if you're not ready, you can be today. Would you bow your heads with me? Here's how you Thanks for listening, and enjoy today's message. 